Okay, Alien's question is obviously in effect for these two movies. Since they're hyper-specific to 1960s Japan, not, and also anime. So all we know about Earth are these two movies. What are we thinking? You know, I don't... I As I was watching Blood... I thought to myself very specifically, this is like Akira in the sense that Akira is a movie that, that I feel probably taps into this time and place and, and sort of social anxiety zeitgeist of like post world war II Japan. And I can understand a lot of the themes of Akira because it's it's a very universal movie and it's a very big and epic and cool movie. But like, I felt like Blood was a much more intimate version of that where I honestly, I have no idea how Blood relates to 1960s Japan. <laughs> but I felt like there probably was, like there's a reason why they said it there. Yeah, there definitely had to be a reason for 1960s there. Uh, and you mentioned Akira, which also advertises Tokyo Olympics 2020. And from up on Poppy Hill, Tokyo Olympics 1960-something. Uh, so there's definitely that connection. Uh, whenever the Olympics are happening in Tokyo, things are going down. Um, but if I were an alien, my obvious takeaway from both of these movies is we need to find all of the schoolgirls that have braids and round them up because they're clearly the most powerful beings on Earth. Yeah, those are the people that get shit done. <laughs> Yeah, in the in in the romance too. Yeah, uh, Umi is referred to as a goddess, right? They can't they can't do it without her. Yeah, um, yeah. I think f for for from up on Poppy Hill, there's definitely more of that. Like, um, like we need to find our identity and find our way in life, and it's much happier and nicer. And she is this like. She's just this cool person to hang out with. Like, but they but also, then, they say that she's magical. Right. But then in and blood, if I were an alien, I'm taking that literally. Blood is also a very magical little girl. Um, but she also is uber violent. <laughs> she's not as nice as Umi. I will no. say that. Umi seems like a much more friendly person to hang out with than Saya. But yeah, if I'm an alien, these are my two reference points for Earth. A hundred percent. If she's got two braids and she's wearing a, a school uniform, I'm taking her and starting my army there. Yeah, that would be a very good plan of attack. Mm -hmm. All right. Shall we get into it? Let's do it. Pew, pew, pew. Magical girls. Magical girls.
this is Necromancer. Necromancer. I'm Shira, and I'm a fan of romantic comedies. I like them a lot. I'm Brett, and I'm a fan of horror movies. I like them a lot. Each week here at Necromancer, Brett usually picks a horror movie, and I usually pick a rom-com, and then we like to flip-flop those movies, turn the romance into a horror, and the horror into a sweet little romance. But today we're doing something a little bit different. We are doing a pair of movies that were picked by someone named Adrian as a reward for donating to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And the theme that Adrian has picked is 1960s animes. And that means we're doing Blood the Last Vampire and From Up on Poppy Hill. Tell us a little bit more about how we got to this reward episode. Well, to be 100% honest, I have a friend named Sean Cooley who put up a post on Facebook that was like, hey, I'm doing this fundraiser thing. Donate if you want. So I asked Sonia, I was like, hey, can we donate some money? She, she said, sure. So I donated some money. And the next thing you know, I started getting all these emails from Sean that was like, here's how to strategize and raise more money. And then I was like, am I, am I now part of this fundraising group? You're a hundred percent a part of this fundraising like, group. We are I, all I, together on this battle against leukemia. I thought this was just a one and done thing. I was like, here's my money. Take it, use it wisely to battle cancer. But then he just started sending me all these emails and then it was clear that I was on some kind of email group, but he put forth all the work to do it. So he was like, hey, here's the links for this. Here's the things for this. Here, like, here's how to get money and here's how to do this. And here's like, I did all the work for you. All you, you got to do is click the stuff. So I just was like, all right, let's start clicking stuff. And then he was like, if you have anything that you can give away, do it. So I saw some other friends, friend of the show, Nick Johnson. Uh, you fans of this podcast will know that he's part of a Tony Hawk pro skater video game cover band. And so he got high some... fidelity. If you guys want to go back and listen to it, it's a great one. Yeah. And so he got like, uh, some stuff signed by Tony Hawk to be like, if you donate, you can enter a raffle to win this stuff. And I was like, well, we can donate a theme. <laughs> And so one one of our one of our lovely fans took us up on that. Adrian said, "Yeah, you guys should watch more anime, which is great because we love anime." Any any excuse to watch more anime, yeah. and you know, look, we may not be Tony Hawk, we're better. Yeah, yeah. How many how many how many remixes of horror movies and rom coms has Tony Hawk done? Zero. Zero. Um, yeah, so I just thought it was interesting, and I honestly did not know. I thought that these were 1960s anime instead of anime about 1960s. Japan. Yeah, that's what I thought. And too. I was a little confused at first, but um, but no, it took us back to uh, back to the the Carnival of Souls era that we know so well. Yeah, um, yeah. So I just thought that this was really cool, and I. I, I ended up enjoying both of these movies 
and and I I'm very open to having more of our fans pick more of our themes or shows or movies. Please, please, absolutely. I am too. I I had fun doing another person's idea for a theme. You know, I I think that Brett and I, you know, we sometimes go an improvisational way when we do our themes. But I would let you all know that I also have a humongous list of themes. And I think about this stuff all the time, what the best thing to do for this podcast would be. But I'd love to hear from our audience and know what you'd like us to do. Maybe you want us to return to hostages or a redux on stalkers. Uh, If you're out there and you're listening and you've got some ideas, please email us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com and me, a real person, will absolutely look at it and consider. And then you could be talked about on this podcast as well. Whoa. You know, we're we're a small we're a small operation. It doesn't take a lot to make waves here. Yeah. It's going to be my mom. It's totally going to be my mom. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like something my mom would also do. (laughs) Right. But you know what? That was also one of my favorite episodes that we did. Yeah. The moms. Okay. Everybody except Carol. And what's your mom's name? Maureen. Carol and Maureen, you guys got first pick at your movies. It's time it's time for somebody else to shine. We we love you dearly, but uh let let the plebeians have a chance. Yeah. Leave yeah. <laughs> Leave us alone, I've... mom. <laughs> oh yeah, and dad too. Yeah. We already let our dads pick for us. So screw our parents. It's, <laughs> it's up to you guys now. Uh now we've opened it up to siblings. It's just a whole new can of worms. Um, so getting back into these movies, I also had fun with this. I do wish that there was more, but uh, we'll we'll get into it. I mean, okay, I, I wish that there was less of some things, incest, uh, and more of others, kissing. Uh, but <laughs> but we'll we'll get into it. So what movie should we do first? I could go either way, but I I don't know. Do you have a do you have a thought? Uh I watched from up on Poppy Hill first and then I watched Blood after. I yeah, don't know I if that impacts things. I did the ah, same. Let's do it in the order that we watched them then. Yeah. Uh, all right. So from up on Poppy Hill. This is a movie I'd heard about and I think I'd seen in clips for, you know, lo-fi beats to study to. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. one of those movies that they would cut into a long 10-hour YouTube lo-fi beats mix. But I'd never seen the source material until now. What, What You liked it? You had a good warm fuzzy from it? Yeah, I feel like a lot of times um, I will say, like, we've hit 20, 30 minutes into the movie and nothing has happened. And that's usually a bad thing. But for a movie like this, there was probably about 30 minutes into the movie, I checked the runtime on it. And I was like, oh, wow, 30 minutes in. Yeah, nothing's happened. But I'm having a blast just hanging out with Umi. 
and doing whatever she's doing. Like, um, this movie just was like, yeah, it was just a nice movie to put on, to sit back, to relax, to enjoy. Um, I don't know. It just kind of like washed over me. Like, like lo-fi beats to study to. Lo-fi beat to study to. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just really, I, I, as we get into the movie, I think there, there is this kind of weird sense that like, if this was an American movie, a Western movie, there probably would be more stakes raising. But I feel like a lot of the stuff in this movie is kind of like, eh. Like a lot of the problems that arise in this movie, they're like, eh, we'll we'll figure it out. Don't don't worry. It's not a there, big deal, you guys. Yeah, there there is no sense of urgency There's in the none. movie. And and I don't mean that as a criticism at all. Right. In fact, I would say that the fact that the movie is a hangout movie with no urgency is one of its greatest strengths, which is why when they do introduce one point with an extreme amount of tension. I'm going to have to confess it to you right here, Brett. I couldn't take it. I looked on Wikipedia because I was like, no, I can't sit and watch this movie with this question unanswered because it makes me so uncomfortable. And I've been the opposite of that up until this point, I've been extremely comfortable in this movie. It's so fun. And like, just like, ah, like a hot bath and some, some tea and a book. Uh, And then they throw, they throw the, the big issue in there. And so I looked on Wikipedia and I was like, Oh, okay, good. And then I could watch, I could watch the rest of the movie. after that. that happens in this movie. I did also, I didn't go on Wikipedia. I, I I had enough faith in the movie to to resolve it, but I did have to pause it and go, wait a minute. Like, I feel like this is a bombshell, and the movie's just like, eh. Eh. You know, like... The, the life the- goes on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like... The, okay, well, we, we, can't, we can't hold it back anymore. You're going to just have to start telling the story so we can talk about the big issue. It's so funny. So hopefully I get some of these pronunciations right. I don't know. I did uh, write in my notes, so cute, multiple times. Yeah. Just so cute. I loved it. So Umi, Umi Matsuzaki, is a 16-year-old high school student living in uh, like a boarding house manor type thing overlooking the port of Yokohama in Japan. And her mother, Ryoko, is a medical professor studying in the United States. So she's not home, which means, like a lot of Japanese anime children, Umi has to run the house and basically is the I mom. think it's so adorable when children run the house. I think it is adorable. And I love the cooking. There's nothing Studio Ghibli does better. Is it Ghibli or Ghibli? This is a GIF GIF problem for me. I don't know, Studio Ghibli? I probably would say Ghibli. Well, I feel like there's nothing they do better than cooking. They love drawing food 
and their animated food is the most delicious food I've ever seen. I don't think real food could ever top the deliciousness that is Studio Ghibli animated food. Yeah. When I was watching her cook, all I could think about was like, wow, they, one, she's really good at cooking because I am not. It's the platonic ideal. And two, I was like, yeah, they really put a lot of craftsmanship into the cooking. Like the cooking specifically is like 60 FPS, whereas the rest of the movie's running at a cool 30. But like the cooking is just like every little crack of the eggshell and every little sizzle of the bacon and the like even the way she scoops off that rice is so satisfying. Um, It's just real food could never be that satisfying. Like, you know how I always like to question why this medium. So of course I'm going to ask, well, why did these movies need to be anime for the most part from up on Poppy Hill doesn't have anything that needs to be anime except that freaking food. Mm -hmm. And then the way they paint backgrounds is just amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, that freaking food. It's delicious. Uh, so each morning, in addition to raising her family, Umi also raises a set of signal flags, which has the message, I pray for safe voyages. And so one day, uh, reading in the school newspaper, she reads a poem about the flags being raised, which... I mean, Japanese anime, come on. Like, Your Name, this movie, like, they just... High school kids have the best romances in Japan. They are so lucky. Oh, my God. They're they're just so good to each other. I mean, yeah. you know, in America, we're just, a, just some teenage dirtbags <laughs> getting drunk off stolen alcohol and, you know... Yeah. Sitting on top of parking garages. Nothing special. Not yeah. Nothing like these gorgeous little romances where you put poems in the school newspaper. I wrote in my notes, I hope it's a cute boy. And it was a cute boy. It was. Um, yeah, I, I did think this movie approached high school in a very wholesome way because oh. an American movie would definitely be like, there would be so much tension in that high school, especially between all the different cliques. But here you have all They're so nice to each other. Everyone is nice, and it's so refreshing. Um, But the cute boy who wrote the poem is Shun, Shun, Shun Kazama. And um, he witnesses the flags from the sea as he rides his father's tugboat to school. So we have this, like, they're already kind of star-crossed lovers kind of thing um and so at first umi gets the wrong impression uh, impression of shun as he does this really crazy stunt this jackass type stunt where he jumps from the roof into the pool the dirty growth pool oh but it's just so cute yeah and he does it on behalf of the latin quarter which is an old building housing their schools their high school's clubs Uh, And unfortunately, the Latin Quarter is being threatened with demolition. And the students are not going to stand for that. So Shun Shun is now kind of a a little minor celebrity 
and Umi's sister wants to go get his autograph because she bought his picture for like 30 pennies or whatever. This feels like something that really happened to one of the writers or their parents or something like like this yeah. just this feels like a story that's lifted from someone's biography directly. <laughs> it it could be. It's it's just it's so perfectly yes. Everything falls into place so perfectly because she goes to the Latin Quarter with her sister and they go through another thing that you said like why did this have to be anime? Why this medium? the the sort of walking through the house and seeing all the clubs and all that stuff it was very like anime could have done it the only other person that i could think of would probably be like wes anderson if he made one of those giant models right where the the camera goes follows him through the house and you see the little corners of every club oh he loves doing that uh it's like the dollhouse shot yeah where you look into every room of the dollhouse and see what's going on. Uh, yeah, I, I felt like the backgrounds, it looked like every frame was a painting, basically. Yeah, and it kind of reminded me of um, Doctor Who in the sense of like, here's this house that has infinite space inside, right? But also they do a great job of making it very claustrophobic with the history of the house and how nothing's ever been thrown away it's just a collection of old stuff that's built up and built up and built up so it's really cool it's like just spending time in the house like you said it's a hangout movie i I could just hang out in that house all day (laughs) yeah Um, no it, it looks like a really cool clubhouse yeah and so umi starts to help out shun do some stuff and then umi kind of convinces shun that they have to the best way to save the latin quarter is to renovate it right because right well, now she shows she shows him her in that's been there forever and is like oh, you're right look like we've had this in since i don't know i think she said like 1800 something and we've got the original carvings and this and he's like oh it's so clean it looks like new and she's like that's what you should do to the latin quarter clean it it's a very japanese plot right but yeah i did i really liked that balance or that that the the headbutting of philosophical ideas i guess in terms of like do you worship the old to the point of letting it collect dust and just look gross and grimy? Or do you worship the old by taking care of it every day and still making it look new and renovating it? Uh, it was really cool. Very um, Eastern. <laughs> but then we get into some of the weirdness where at her house, Umi shows Shun a photograph of three young naval men. One of these men is her deceased father, Yuchiro Sawamura, who was killed while serving on a supply ship during the Korean War. Shun is stunned to see it is, (laughs) as it is revealed, he has a duplicate photograph. And his father admits that shortly after World War II, Yuchiro arrived at their house one evening with an infant Shun. So now 
we are like it's all sort of blase with no kind of sense of urgency like we've described essentially the the bombshell that is being dropped is umi and shun are luke and leia their brother and sister and they didn't even get to the kiss yet yeah they didn't even get to like even luke and leia got to kiss gross but you know it it still happened right. um and shun and umi never kissed but they had such a cute meet cute flirt cute his little when he bikes her down to the butcher it's yeah. so adorable just the way that he is into her but not all over her and it's just they're very confidently into each other in a way that just is light and fun and sweet and her trying to ask him if he was the one who wrote the poem is is really cute and he kind of get the sense that he knows that that's what she wants to ask him and he's being sweet about it um but then the incest bombshell drops and it's like what the hell and to make matters worse not only does the father confirm it, apparently her father, Umi's father, also put his name on Shun's birth certificate. So when he actually goes to see if, like, oh, is this for real, his birth certificate, his papers are like, y'all have nope. the same dad. No they're doubts. Really, they're really No going- doubts. They're really going out of this, out of their way to make this extremely cute and cozy high school romance as disturbing as possible. <laughs> like, and it's so unfair. It's yeah. just so unfair, and it just. I I wrote, "How dare they?" <laughs> and I said, "This is so mean." <laughs> How uh, dare they pull this shit on me? Also, it's such a Japanese thing because only in a country that's a tiny island, like Iceland would be another example, do you have problems like this? Like, right. I have never worried that I was going to meet a stranger and they turn out to be related to me because the chances of that happening in the United States are just so low. I mean, like, maybe you'd find out that you share a cousin or you're like, oh, no, that's my great aunt Pearl, too, (laughs) or something like that. Or you you already know you you, you already know, know. Uh, you you know. Um, But yeah, like, I've never had this fear that I'm going to accidentally be related to someone. This I feel like this only happens in Asian dramas. Yeah, I haven't seen enough, but yeah (laughs) um (laughs) it's it's really weird because they also don't umi and shun don't make a big deal out of it like they kind of just go eh. like they still they're still friends they still go out of their way to help each other in fact uh once the renovation of the latin quarter is complete they go to the board of education to or the board of education decides to demolish it anyway so Shun and Umi, along with one of their other friends, Shiro, they take the train to Tokyo. Oh, Shiro's his name? I've been calling him Glasses Kid. 
<laughs> yeah, Glasses Kid is Shiro. What's his name? Uh, Sakamoto. I got. Yeah. I definitely got Sakamoto <laughs> vibes when he. Oh, he's such a Sakamoto. <laughs> Especially the way he maneuvered the little sister away and put the moves on her. Yeah. Because it's like clear that, you know, they kind of have a thing going too. I thought that was cute. Um, yeah. So they all go to Tokyo, which is prepare- preparing for the 1964 Summer Olympics, which honestly, if if they didn't mention the Olympics in the uh, description of the movie, I would have no idea that the, that was part of a thing. Like, oh, well, they were arguing about it during their little student debate about whether the Olympics were good or bad. Oh, did you did you do the dubbed or subtitled? Oh, I did the dubbed because that's all that HBO Max had. Yeah, H- I did start watching the dubbed, but then I went on and found the subtitled. And they don't mention like there's a whole beginning voiceover. That's all about the Olympics in the dubbed, but in the subtitled one, they don't ever mention it ever. So it's weird. Yeah, I wonder what what's going on there. I wonder why for the dubbing they made such a big deal about the Olympics. I don't know. I mean, Americans are obsessed with the Olympics. So, I mean, not a bad read translators, but also I prefer accuracy. Yeah, so it's just weird. Um, but they go to meet with takumaru which is the school board's chairman and again we get more cuteness is like they're just waiting to meet with him and it's clear that they're probably never going to meet with him they're going to be sent home um disappointed but the uh the guy does meet with them and he just fully decides yeah i'm gonna go visit this house and I'm going to take you up on this offer to uh, to take a look at this house and and not demolish it. So <laughs> they do that. They go back and um, they they convince him to come back. And then we get this again, like as all of this cool stuff is happening with the Latin Quarter, Umi then professes her love to Shun, and he reciprocates her love. And I don't know, again, if it's a translation thing or what, but like, I don't know if they're professing love, love versus love versus. I think they're trying love. to say that they do love each other romantically, but they still think that they are siblings and. They aren't going to go all Game of Thrones. They have respect from boundaries and taboos. So she gets on the bus. They don't kiss. And and then the tension continues. (laughs) So, yes. So this is going to get a little messy. But uh, having just returned from the United States, Umi's mom, Ryoko, tells Umi that Shun's father was actually Hiroshi Tachibana, the second man in the photo. Because in 1945, Tachibana was killed in an accident on a ship. So Shun's mother died in childbirth and his other relatives were killed in the bombing of Nagasaki. So Ryoko. Mm, how'd that happen? Oh boy. <laughs> no comment. Uh, Ryoko <laughs> was unable to raise Shun as she was already pregnant with Umi at the time. So Yuchiro registered the child as his own 
to avoid leaving Shun as an orphan, which would have caused him in the post-war years of confusion, it basically would have been been, in the system. Yeah, it would have been a crap sentence. Um, And so Shun was given to the Kazamas. So now that all that's out of the way, Umi knows this, but Shun doesn't. But before they can she get She doesn't it, say anything, and, and she's not suddenly... She, she doesn't say anything to him about it. Right, because Takumaru, the board education guy, visits the Latin Quarter, and we get a little scene of him first, and I thought it was hilarious. How oh, he, I love that scene. I thought it was hilarious when he asked the astrology kids, like, hey, what have you guys learned? And they're like, well, the sun is really old. Our lives are really short. We can just take notes. And he's like, good answer. And I was like, yeah, that is a good answer. Like, yeah, the sun's really old. All we can do is take notes on it and hope that generations down the line, someone will be able to start noticing some patterns. So it was a very cool way for him to go like, oh, yeah, no, they're not just wasting their time. They're taking notes on sunspots. That's a very good use of time. Um, And so it was just very cute, very cool. He visits the place and just immediately he's like, yeah, we're going to cancel the demolition. So everyone goes bananas. But then before they can celebrate, Umi and Shun are summoned to the harbor. And again, another cute little moment where like they went out of their way to get takumaru to visit the board or to visit the house the latin quarter and then the moment they win and they get to celebrate their victory they're whisked away and and shiro goes oh they've got their own personal stuff to take care of and takumaru who just came out of his way to visit this place is like oh to be young again yeah he's cool he's he's totally cool with it he's like yeah i get it they're kids they're gonna run off and do kids and love things uh yeah, I thought that was really cute and and I also like that they hitch a ride with the uh the the fish guy from earlier. Yeah, cuz so like, Umi's friends want... with everyone in town. Yeah. I I always love that. When the person who when the person who selflessly helps everyone needs help and doesn't even have to ask for it because everyone's like, "No, we got your back. Umi, you are totally cool. Whatever you need, we got you." Um, yeah they've been just waiting for her to ask for help like they just waiting for the moment for they for them to come in for her uh and it's just adorable i love those moments too um and so then they go to this ship they and it's again it's like this like it's this big moment where they have to ride down the hill they have to go to the docks they have to get on a boat they have to drive to another boat they have to climb up the stairs but it's all portrayed as just like Eh, don't worry, we'll get you there. Uh, so finally they get on the boat. They meet Yoshiro Onodera, who is now a ship's captain, and the third man in the photograph, as well as the sole survivor of the three. This man is able to 100% confirm to both of them that Umi and Shun are not related by blood. And he tells huh. the full story of the three men. Thank God. Which is kind of everything we, we know at this point. But with everything resolved, this is the craziest part. The ending of the movie is Umi goes back to her daily routine of raising her flags. But now it's not like, you know, now it's not 
just this singular idea of like, oh, I'm doing it only for my dad. Now she's doing it for all of the ships out there. But there's zero, and I mean zero, uh, what do you call it? Like, there's there's no romance finalization. There's no... I know! No kisses! Credit. I wrote down credits before kisses? Question mark? What? <laughs> There's no resolution. There's no romantic resolution. They just are like, okay, yeah, we uh, are not related. Cool. See you tomorrow. And so. <laughs> it's like Joe Dirt. When, when <laughs> I'm your sister. <laughs> oh, no. Um, no, but yeah, they just, they get on the boat and it's like roll credits. And I thought, excuse me? excuse me there's no thank god we're not siblings and now we can be into each other i guess that would that would cheapen the whole thing if we talked out loud about it (laughs) it's baffling it is absolutely baffling but it's an hour and a half nothing in the movie happens except for a very traumatic incest scare but it's it is like it is I like, a high... you say incest scare like incest scares and pregnancy scares are just yeah. a part of relationships like ah oh, well oh. first we had the incest scare but after yeah. that was cleared up then the pregnancy scare happened oh man yeah that's something that they definitely need in the southern united states uh plan b pregnancy tests and genealogy tests (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but i could not like i just could not recommend this movie enough you know if it's like a rainy sunday and you want to kill 30 minutes with just a very wholesome cool anime like this is, it was a great movie, but it was also very bizarre. I just, do yourself the favor, resolve the incest question early. Like, if you're like me and you don't care about spoilers, spoil yourself. They're not related. It's okay. And then just enjoy the scenery and the food and those lo-fi beats. Yeah. Now, well, I there, honestly, there's actually there there are no lo-fi beats in the movie. There's there's a 1960s Japanese pop. Just to be clear, that's just the vibe. Right. Yeah. The soundtrack for this movie could be turned into a lo-fi remix. Oh, there's there's samples galore. If you yeah. if you're one of the folks behind lo-fi beats to study to, you've got some great samples here. I'm sure a few of them will be royalty free. Just, you know, find out. So, I, who, how, how are you going to decide who you're going to kill from this movie? This has got to be the, one of the toughest ones. All the people I want to kill are already dead. Like, I'd like to kill Umi's dad for making yeah. this so confusing. Like, you can't leave a note. Like, oh, here's the story behind this baby's real dad. So in the future, you can tell him who his real dad is and he doesn't accidentally think it's me when he falls in love with my daughter. You know, I mean, like he didn't have that foresight that the baby he saved was his daughter's future boyfriend. 
Uh, maybe he would have thrown the baby back if he'd known that. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, yeah, you, you, you don't leave any explanation as to, to the truth. You could have saved us a headache. I, I might also be tempted to kill Umi's mom because she was pretty blasé about unraveling the truth. Yeah. I mean, she was kind of like, yeah, I need to do this for my daughter because clearly she's very emotionally distressed <laughs> over the fact that she might be related to the boy she likes at school. <laughs> um, so I'm going to call up her, his dad and we'll, we'll unravel the truth little by little. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and even the dad's kind of like, oh, well, I guess you got 15 minutes to get down to the dock and find out about your real dad. Right? Or no, I shouldn't say real dad because he is his real dad, but the man who gave birth to him. I do like that uh, Shun's dad is like, we're your parents. Right. We have always been your parents. Yeah, it's nice. But um. Yeah, I don't know. Just to go, just to pick someone else, I guess I'd go with the um, philosophy guy. Oh, that no! Guy. The philosophy <laughs> club was so cute. I liked them. Misery. I gotta put him out of his misery. He's uh, just gonna he... be debating philosophy only with himself for years and years to come. I'm just gonna do a mercy kill. Put him out of his misery. But, um... Okay, yeah, no, yeah. he he's got a rough life ahead of him. It wasn't a philosophy club; it was just him. <laughs> it was just him. But I thought he had acolytes by the end. He had Maybe, a little, yeah. a few new philosophy bros. Um, yeah, a but cult. yeah, That's you're the right. Of a cult, <laughs> the Poppy Hill cult, the Poppy <laughs> Hill gang. Ah, why didn't I make that my horror movie? Yeah, I should have. Yeah, speaking of horror movies. How'd you do? How'd you do on this one? Oh, terrible. Terrible. Um, absolutely terrible. I Both of these movies are legitimate elevator pitches. Uh, yeah. They're going to go real, real quick. Yep. What about, what about you? Same. Absolutely <laughs> the same. These movies both were plotless to the point where what was there to remix? Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I definitely had to to pull one out of my ass and and I totally cribbed off of existing properties. And I'll yeah. I'll name my I'll name my references. I I won't leave people hanging. Uh but yeah, uh I <laughs> I I had a hard time doing anything original. No, this was not as I've come to call it an Amadeus moment for me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll let these you are the ori- these one. are the originals. These are the originals, but they wouldn't impress Salieri. Um, Do you remember that scene? It's been so long since I've seen Amadeus. I, I I guess I'm the only person who's just so in love with referencing this movie. But for for Brett and the folks out there, it's the scene in Amadeus where Salieri goes to Mozart's place. And like a sheaf of papers falls on the ground and it's like sheet music and Mozart's wife or girlfriend confirms that they're the originals. And that's how Salieri finds out that Mozart doesn't edit anything. He just writes it down. He just writes it down as it comes out of his head. And then as he realizes, yeah, as he realizes it, he drops the papers. Yeah. 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 These are, Originals? 
<laughs> but anyway, yeah, these are originals, but they're not good. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll go for it. You said you wanted me to go first. Sure. And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I called mine flagpoles. Um, I don't, right. I don't know why ultimately my plot has nothing to do with flagpoles, <laughs> but I did think that, you know, it's really popular nowadays to take a song from like 20 years ago and then do like a dark moody version. So I thought oh, yeah. for this movie, we'd take flagpole Sitta and make that the moody song. Cause then you could get somebody like Lord or someone going, paranoia and it'll just be really uh yeah it'll be moody but then it'll be corny because it's it's that song right <laughs> um but so in this version the latin quarter building is over a hell mouth uh and umi and shun are the reincarnations of fallen angel siblings that defied god with their incestuous love. I ripped this somewhat directly from an anime manga called Angel Sanctuary. Mm. It's pretty twisted, well-written. Check it out if you're into angels and incest and weird things. Um, That's all for you. Uh, And then Satan, in the guise of the glasses kid, Shiro is trying to use Shun and Umi to reopen the Hellmouth and start the apocalypse at the Tokyo Olympics. So then they try to resist fate, even like even after they learn the truth of, of who they are. But of course, they can't resist falling in love with each other. It's just fated to be. Uh, and that's just, that's the key to Satan's plan. Uh, so they try to stop Shiro from succeeding, but he's just too charming. And one by one, Mm. let's say that kids go into the Latin quarter building and they come out different, kind of like in rock and roll nightmare. That's where as soon as, as soon as they become possessed, they become cool. Right. Uh, and then also, Oh my God, could you imagine an entire high school of Sakamoto's? Oh my gosh, it would be it would be out of control. It would drive the rest of the kids crazy. Yeah. Uh but so so his plan is going according to plan. I also was kind of inspired by Devilman Crybaby, where the guy in that just has a plan that just can't fail. Right. He's just so like he's just so competent. There's really nothing you can do to stop him. But Umi and Shum are still going to fight the good fight. But of course, there's the one thing that he needs to open the Hellmouth. And let's just say that the one thing turns out to be like the blood of an angel or something. So maybe the chairman or someone like that is actually an angel, like an archangel in disguise. And so Umi and Shum decide that they are going to just execute the angel before Shiro can bring him over the Hellmouth and, you know, open it and start Armageddon. Um, So maybe they succeed, but because God loves sacrifices and sacrifice, like God in particular 
loves a sacrifice that doesn't make sense. Like maybe you're breaking a moral rule, but you're doing it for God, you know, a whole like Abraham killing his son situation. Like, like it has to be paradoxical to, to be granted a miracle. Uh, and maybe this restores Umi's angel status. That's what, that's what I'm thinking. And then that's the moment that Shiro is able to take Umi, use her to open the hell mouth, execute her, start Armageddon. Uh, and then it ends with Shum raising a black flag, swearing revenge on Shiro as the town gets overrun by demons. So Devilman Crybaby style, it's like Shiro and Shun are destined to be enemies. And this was always meant to happen. There was nothing they could do to forestall it. Uh, It just had to end this way. I mean, I, I feel like all good action animes end at the end of the world, right? Like the world right. always has to end yeah. at the end. <laughs> I mean, like Evangelion. I think even like Gurren Lagann is kind of like that too. I feel like I'm ruining a bunch of animes, which I mean, you should just watch them if you haven't already. These ones are old. Uh, but yeah, you always got to end like an action horror anim- anime at the very end of the world. Yeah, I um, it also kind of gives me some uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes vibes, where it's like these two people who are trying so hard not to to be fated enemies that end up as fated enemies. Um, it's a little bit different, right? But it's, I, I like that concept, yeah, and I like that idea of like, ah, uh, no, I don't want her to die, but then at the end, like you get that satisfying sequel teaser of the black flag being raised as the demon hordes come, and you're like, oh shit, yeah, that's what I want. Um, exactly. Yeah, I like yeah it. very demons end. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just gonna call mine Escape from Poppy Hill. <laughs> <laughs> I love it already. <laughs> um. And so I'm just going to say that Umi is going to try to to reconnect. <gasps> is Umi Snake? Umi is Snake. Call yes. Snake. Um, and so Umi is going to try to leave this island. We're going to say that Poppy Hill, right, is on this tiny little island. And Umi's trying to leave the island to, to escape the island like there's nothing particularly wrong with the island we can say that maybe her dad her dad escaped the island once or her dad disappeared and she thinks that he got out but the thing is that there's like a fog around the island right so one of those classic things of like you can't leave no matter how oh, much like you silent try. hill like silent hill um and so she she builds a, a tiny little ship or something and she tries to leave that's that's like the first few minutes of the movie is her just trying to leave. But then she gets crashed back on shore and Shun saves her and they develop a bond. And then we go into Shun. Shun kind of brings her into this idea of a fairy tale-esque world surrounding the Latin Quarter house. So you went with angel incest but i'm gonna go with like guillermo del toro fantasy interesting stuff so um so it's kind of got like 
Pan's Labyrinth, right? So when she goes into the Latin Quarter at night, when you're not supposed to go into school property, it takes on an entirely different persona with like Ooh. demons and, and trolls and goblins, but they're not all like world ending demons. Like they're, spirited they're away. Like, yeah, they're like spirited away. So the first club that she goes to is the astrology club. And there she has to find maps. Uh, she has to use the stars to find maps of a secret society that worships the stars. And then she has to steal an item from them, right? So we can just go infinity stones with this. And we can say that she's just got to steal a bunch of rocks, right? So in this one, she steals the glowing green rock. Uh, for the chemistry club, she has to sneak into a chemistry plant to take their rock, the glowing rock, out of their chemistry nuclear reactor thing. But when she takes the rock out, it creates a chain reaction. And then she's got to, like, escape the plant while she's being pursued by scary guards and stuff. Um, the philosophy guy sits down and talks with her. And she doesn't have to go on a fetch quest from the philosophy guy. It's more of just this weird conversation between them where she ends up having to kind of like trick him into giving her his stone. And so again, ah, like with around... wordplay and riddles and paradoxes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so then we get the photo, the photo uh, club, and she's got to get evidence of real life ghosts, but during the daytime. And so she's got to like, she somehow she's got to figure it out. Right. So then she does that. And in, in, response she gets a, a, a rock a gem an infinity stone the last one is dissection club uh dissection yeah. club heck yeah is she learns how to dissect things like very tiny things you know you get like you're in schools you get worms and dead frogs and stuff but then she learns that the school president the takamoru guy he's got a gem inside him that's connected to his essence and so if you take the gem out, hit, like if you do it wrong, he'll die. And if he dies, the gem dies. So she's got to like do a vivisection on him and take the stone out while he's alive and keep him alive. Once she collects all five of the rocks, she is able to then, whatever, do something with Shun. And then they do something. And then she goes on a boat and she is able to escape the fog out to the island and maybe she's got a map of where her dad went or something. But then when she goes to the next island that's supposed to be like her freedom, she sees a Latin Quarter house, but it's like five times as big. And so now the implication oh, is no. she's got to go on an even bigger adventure, an even bigger, darker. It's like a gothic Castlevania type latin quarter house mix that's even more scary maybe there's like dragons flying in the background and scary noises and earthquakes and it's just <sighs> it's a, it's a crazy island she trades she trades a very stable island that's full of weirdness for a very crazy island that's full of very imminent danger and that's where we cut to credits is like good luck good luck umi you know what I like about both our movies is that they were setups for sequels. Yeah. I I like that a lot. I feel like your movie can and should be a Jim Henson production. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, put a young Jennifer Connelly in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it definitely has some labyrinth vibes to it. Uh, yeah, I, I like that a lot. I feel like you, you did like what would be like a scary children's movie. That that was definitely my goal because I didn't I didn't want to do demons and stuff because I, I tried to keep I specifically tried to keep my my rom-com remix of blood as violent as possible and demonic oh, as possible did you do that for me I did I did just for you <laughs> oh you're gonna like the spin I have on mine it's so inappropriate uh but so me <laughs> but also and, speaking and I of- Speaking of both of our movies setting up for a sequel, Blood, The Last Vampire, I texted you this before. I was like, this feels like part two of a series premiere that doesn't have a show behind it. Yeah. Like, where's the it, sequel? Where's, it where's was more? very confusing. And I think that's a great segue into... The fact that we're going to do a little bit of a nostalgic kickback this time. And just like we used to do way back in the beginning of the podcast uh, and occasionally on our holiday episodes, we're going to go ahead and just review both these movies uh, in one episode. So this is a great segue into blood. But I was so confused. I was so incredibly confused It's exactly what you described. I felt like I was watching the second part of a series premiere uh, and I just totally missing context. And I just wondered, did everybody who saw this movie, because it, to me, it sounded like at least from reading, reading Wikipedia that the anime, this anime we watched was shown in theaters. So it sounds like, or at least that's what it said on Wikipedia. I didn't I, look up anything about it because I was so confused. I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to look up anything about it because I don't want to go down that anime rabbit hole. There has to be some <laughs> kind of source material. Like if there's a, a light novel, a novel novel, a comic, there, there's got to be something out there because... I just I can't imagine anybody but us coming into this movie with no context. There has to be something. A video game? Was there a video game? This would be a great video game. Oh yeah, it would be awesome. Uh yeah, I your guess is as good as mine. I this yeah, I don't know. This felt like maybe it was just like a short film like how a lot of directors will make short films is more or less of a calling card to say, this is what I'm capable of. That's maybe what this felt like was just like, you know what? Fuck it. We'll, we'll take whatever script we have and we'll just make a really cool anime around it. And maybe people will like it. I don't know, but hopefully it'll get us more work in the anime industry. Yeah, I just, I wonder, I wonder, like, what it was. Maybe if it's, like, you know, one of those Matrix animes 
where somebody just decided to play in this world for 50 minutes, but then they made it into a live action movie. So I got to assume that there's some connection there. Like maybe it's like you said, they made the anime to show, Hey, look what we can do. And then they made the live action feature. I don't know. Yeah, but I did. I started out watching this movie not enjoying it because I had no idea what was going on. But once once the 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 movie actually does kind of settle down, which it it never does, but once it does kind of settle down, I was like, "Oh, I th- this is I think I get what this is." And I really started to like a lot of the a lot of the action in this movie is freaking nuts. Right. I, I think that the action in this movie is really great. I It made me curious to see the live action simply because I just wanted more yeah. scenes. Um, you know, I mean, there wasn't a lot of exposition either, but if I had to choose between exposition and longer action scenes, they could have just added more action scenes and I would have been perfectly happy. I would have been fine with that. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird little yeah. movie. It, it is a weird little movie, but they, they've got some things in there that I think are, are really nice. I also, I really like the idea. I think that procedurals do a really good job of bringing together as partners people who don't seem like good matches, like this seemingly young woman with this older American government agent you know, I think I think it's a it's a fun and interesting pairing. It, it feels very true grit, you know, mm-hmm. where you get the old wizened guy and then the young girl who's, you know, out doing all the work. I don't know. I, I like pair offs like that. So I feel like there's like the meat of something really interesting. But I just I wish that there was more. It's the same thing. I mean, well, I I would clarify from up on Puppy Poppy Hill, very specifically, I wanted more kissing. <laughs> Even though it's not like I'm trying to say like, oh, I want to see kids kiss. They're, it's just, it's a story. Like I wanted to see more of the romance. Right. Uh, or like even just like holding hands. Like I think like even in your name, they at least like hug and hold hands or something. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't want more kissing in a... Uh, in uh, blood the last vampire this isn't a kissing movie uh but more more blood yeah yeah blood could have more blood that's what i'll say yeah good luck so- <laughs> good luck breaking this one down <laughs> so the story that we know about is that it's set in 1966 although there's really not that much information to say like it's 1966 because it seems like we're just moving between vehicles and military bases. Saya Saya does not have a life to really speak about. Uh, but the protagonist, Saya, she hunts these bat-like creatures called chi- chiropterons. Chiropterons? Is that what their name is? Uh, and she's introduced to us on a subway train, very midnight meat train like, yeah. where she assassinates a man in a suit, uh, and then her handlers arrive. 
and one of them, David, begins to brief Saya on another mission, while the other, Louis, discovers that the man Saya had just killed was probably not a chiroptic- chiropteron. So right away, we get this sort of ambiguous thing in the beginning where, according to Saya, she only kills humans. But the person that she killed in the beginning, or she only kills the monsters. She never kills humans. She's not allowed to kill humans. And she doesn't break the rules. She's a rule follower. Um, But there's some ambiguity as to whether or not she was given a person as an assignment. Yeah. And it's kind of dropped and never mentioned again. I didn't know if, because he says he he just hasn't transformed yet or something. And later when we see her kill some of the the other bat monsters, it is it is this idea that if you can't kill them in one blow, then you're fucked. Um, so I didn't know if you're right. I watched the I watched the first five minutes or six i watched the first five to ten minutes of this anime like three times just because i wasn't sure if i was getting it i was like what am i missing here so i think that i think that it was a person and not one of the monsters because we see later that when she kills a monster they revert to their monster form after death so right. when it is a monster, even if she kills them when they look human, uh, it's obvious that they're a monster once they're dead. But the person in the beginning, I think that it, they show you the body and it's a body. Right. So, yeah. yes, I think we're getting to an interesting, like, again, oh. if this movie had had another 30 minutes to develop, I would have liked to see a twist that, Saya finds out that the government is giving her people as assignments and then you have to figure out, well, how does she feel about that versus the monsters? How does David, her handler, feel about that? How much does he know? Because he seems really convinced that it's a monster. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's weird. Right. And it also seems like, so does she get upset at Lewis because she gets mad at the implication that she killed a person? No, she gets mad at Lewis because he says Jesus. Oh, she doesn't like that. Later when the nurse says something like, oh my God, and she holds on to her cross necklace, Saya like backhands her or something. And she's like, there is no God. She hates God. And I think that's not a vampire thing. I think that's a her thing. She's just super into Dawkins. Um, (laughs) But but so so Lewis thinks she kills the person. We don't really know. Uh, We go pretty much right into her next mission. Like we don't even dwell on it, like you said. And that's going to be at this American air base which is active in the buildup to the Vietnam War. Because remember, it's 1966. So, you know, both movies did reference war. So there Mm -hmm. was, you know, World War II and then also the Korean War. So Japan has pretty much been involved in all of our wars post-World War II. Um, And it's, you know, I think that there's definitely 
something to say there, but I I, I can't speak for the Japanese perspective. There, yeah, there's got to be some kind of anime historian YouTube channel that can like put this in perspective for us. That's like oh, there's guaranteed at least five white guys that have yeah. their own video on this. There's nothing more that white guys love than explaining things on YouTube. I, I've seen it too many times. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of subscriptions to white guys explaining things. It's just, there's nothing they love more. Uh, yeah, white guys love explaining. White women love complaining. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> I'll be here all night. Ah. <laughs> Um, but anyway, anyway, you know, she goes, she goes to the air base where they've decided to just, you know, put her into the school. She's going to infiltrate the high school on the base. I, I also like that they just give her a random school uniform. Like this'll do. Right. Like it doesn't even match what the other kids at the school are wearing. They yeah. just they just put her in that outfit. Again, if I were an alien watching these two movies, clear to me, pigtails, school uniform, symbols of power. That's her armor. That's right. Uh, so she infiltrates the school. She runs into this meek nurse, Amino Makiho, uh, on the eve of the school's annual Halloween party. So I think it's interesting. Saya and the nurse are both Japanese, but everything, everybody else is American. So right. she speaks in English to her handlers, but then she speaks in Japanese to the nurse. It's, just, it's an interesting detail to me that they just made these two characters Japanese. I don't know why. Yeah. But it's also really cool as she goes through the school and stuff. There's this really weird daydream-like sort of... Um, flashback quality to it it's almost like uh you know so this movie was made in 2000 it's like when people idolize a pastime for all of its great stuff that's what this movie feels like but then you have saya walking through the middle of it and she looks and feels really out of place and so it's really cool like how the anime does that how it makes it so that the world is out of it to, to say it better actually the world is out of place but saya is the one who belongs and that's a really weird dynamic that i think again that like anime can can express that in a way that just clicks i don't know how you would do that live action I think you make a really important point and I didn't think about it that way, but you described it perfectly. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why, okay, you know, you've got to make an argument. Why does it need to be an anime? And here's why. And I think one of the things they do is they do it with the color palettes. Yeah. So like everything, the world around Saya is too bright um, it's too warm. Yeah, it's and almost then got this, like sepia kind of tone to it. Too. Yeah, 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 it's very amber. And then everything that's focused on her is sharp and cold. Right. So she looks like she's drawn more detailed than everything else. Her lips, her eyes, 
Um, her hair is more detailed and everybody else kind of looks blah in comparison. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I think that this is definitely a compelling argument for why it needs to be anime. Um, so she basically figures out right away. Right away. Who the, yeah, pretty much like right away who the vampires are. <laughs> These two classmates, Sharon and Linda. Uh, and they, Sharon and Linda go to the nurse's office. Saya follows them in. Right. She kills Linda. Uh, she wounds Sharon, breaks her sword in the process. I love in action movies when the hero's tools don't work. Yeah. And they have to deal with that. And having her swords break and having her improvise is, is a nice action touch. Uh, so now Saya has to chase after Sharon. Uh, Makiho, the nurse, is like, what the hell? I'm just yeah. a normal person. <laughs> I'm the audience stand-in. How dare you introduce all of this craziness? And she's just scared. Um, and then... Uh, let's see, there is a third monster that reveals itself and begins making its way to the base. Uh, and back at the school, Makio regains her nerve and she follows Sharon into a room filled with dancing Americans in Halloween costumes. I like the whole thing when one of the guys dressed like Dracula is like, nah, nah, yeah. at her. And she's like, not funny. <laughs> Uh, and you know, none of them notice the big scary monster. Uh, Sharon manages well, cause to she's got that like grab her. Halloween banner as her cloak, which was so awesome. Yeah, it was kind of like three toddlers in a trench coat, yeah. but nobody seemed to care. Halloween. Um, <laughs> Halloween. yeah, it's Halloween. Uh, so Sharon takes uh, Mahio hostage. Saya manages to save her, uh, and then Saya and Mahiko flee, and they make it inside this, like, warehouse or something like that, and they get cornered and stuck inside. Uh, uh, but it's fine, because David, the handler, comes to the rescue with a new sword. Saya uses it to kill Sharon, and then we've got the final monster, which is trying to get away on a departing cargo plane. No, no, no. Saya can't have that. Uh, they give chase. She manages to strike and mortally wound the monster. And then she stands over the dying creature and lets some of her blood trickle into its mouth. And then Lewis comes back. He recovers Makiho and the police reach her. Uh, now Makio has to do an interview with the government officials who are like, there is no David, there is no girl, except, hey, look at this photo from 1892. Was this the girl you saw? And what do you know? There's a very sour-faced girl in the photo, and it's Saya. <laughs> Uh, and then, then Makiho, she's, she's the, the final girl. She's the survivor. She never finds out the full truth. It's kind of, it's similar to from up on Poppy Hill. That's yeah. it. We, we have no idea where Saya went off to. We're left with the school nurse who just has to say, well, you know, 
never knew what happened to her after that. It's a weird little movie, but yeah, I think we've both stated that we 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 were confused to the point that we had no idea what was going on, and then we were we were entertained to the point where we could have used more. But um, I needed at least two more missions. Yeah, me too. Um, but I do really, really, really like the Terminator Two fuck it, the entire world is at stake kind of mentality that this anime takes, which is the monsters just, once they're outed, they really don't care about who finds out about them because all the monster needs to do is escape and then hide again. And if it can do that, it'll eventually take over the world or whatever its plan is. But I like that idea that every every little action is like, this is a do or die action. And so she's just running around from place to place, trying her best to kill these things. And she can never give up because the moment she gives up, the world is dead. But yeah, I, it, it's an interesting little anime. Yeah, I think, again, it's got it's got the seeds of something more. Like, it could grow into something really special, which is why, again, I'd be interested to see how you would expand on all these relationships and plot uh, with a feature-length movie. I mean, this is 50 minutes, but, again, like, with 90 minutes, how much more could you do? Yeah. So... Who did you have a crush on from this movie? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think I had a crush on the demon who was the third demon. Ah, uh, yeah. The the lady who worked at the bar. Yeah. And he was like, I'm done bartending this piece of shit job. Let me go be a demon. Yeah. And because it was, yeah, it was that Terminator-esque thing of like, once her friends have been outed, she's just like, fuck it. I am now a demon bat monster and fuck y'all. I'm going for it. It was cool. Was she the one who flew away, right? Who like grew the wings? She had to like yeah. transform. That was so awesome, man. I love that part. Um, but yeah, that was my crush. I, I, I totally crushed on the demon lady. How about you? For me, it's got to be David the Handler because yeah. I just, I have a weakness for handlers and I love the idea of writing the angst of being a handler because it's your job to put somebody else in danger for you. And you have to struggle with the moral implications of that. And the fact that even though Sai is probably older than David, she looks like a teenage girl. So it's like, how do you wrestle with the morality of using this little girl to further your interests or or to use them as a weapon of war? I don't know. I think it's pretty meaty. Yeah, I agree. It's... I, I also like that because not he's he never has to be the one who saves her. He just has to be the one who gets her the thing that she needs, which is always a cool little thing, too. Um, yeah, so he's just like, all I got to do is keep her safe. That's all I got to do. But then you're right. It proves very hard by the end of the movie. 
to keep her safe. And sometimes keeping her safe means putting her in danger so that she can kill whatever it is that wants to kill her because she's the better killerer. It's weird, but you're right. Yeah. I want more. I want more. Give me more. Um, the only thing I can offer in terms of more is like a little rom-com remix. Same here. That's that's all the more I have to give at this point. Yeah. Um, so I don't have a name for mine. I This one is going to be even, even more loosey-goosey than the other one. Let's see if I can get my thoughts straight on this. Let's spruce this goose. So we have David, who's a handler. And he is, he, he's, first he's an investigator, and then he's a cleaner, and then he's a handler. So we're going to follow David on his journey as he, he follows Saya and her mission as part of whatever organization this is. So the first location that we're going to do is the subway. And so we don't get to see what happens on the subway. We just see the aftermath. And so as David goes through, and he's a journalist while he's on the subway, we get this sense of him putting together what happened. So he gets to talk with a version of Saya that isn't really there. He's talking with who he thinks Saya is, right? And so a lot of the romance in this movie is going to be very deadpan. <laughs> and it's going to be very rooted in gore. And it's going to be very, it's not going to be cute. It's just going to be like, this guy has this obsession and infatuation with this lady who is super awesome and is someone that you would want to know more about. But the more we learn about her, the more craziness happens. So then the next location is, um, you know, we get little splices as David kind of gets introduced into this world and he's told, like, you should drop this. And then someone comes in and says, hey, come here, follow me. I have answers for you. So then by the time he goes for a walk in the park, he sees more bloodiness, more mayhem. And then we get a sense of Saya's dreams in her aspirations. Because uh, when she was on the subway, we get a sense of what makes her angry, right? Like it's a very bloody scene in a very condensed space. But the walk in the park is like, she gets to take her time with this kill. She's not on a condensed subway. So she gets to stalk whoever she's killing. So David goes, finds the victim. He, he, he follows the blood trails around. And maybe there's like little statues and little benches where the blood goes to. And he kind of gets an idea of who Saya is in her dreams. Then we go to a carnival. And at this point, David is now more of a cleanup guy. So he's been introduced into this world and now he's saying he's been he's like the professional, right? He's the cleanup guy in La Femme Nikita. So he goes in and now he actually has to start cleaning up after her, but it's a carnival, so it's really messy, and we see but we see like what makes her happy, right? Like it's a carnival of pleasures, but it's sadistic pleasures. And so he he kind of gets the idea of who she is. But then as all of this is happening. We get newspapers and interviews and stuff where Saya is becoming more and more of a celebrity. And so even though she's this she's this super secret demon hunter, she's also gaining notoriety in the press because, as you know, the press will just take whatever it is and run with it. So there's David's version of Saya, there's the press's version of Saya, and then there's the actual Saya. 
Then the third one, of course, or the fourth location is a hospital. And that's where we get some of Saya's fears, maybe her fears about dying and stuff like that. And again, I don't know how we're going to do all this, but that's your job to figure out, Shira. Good luck. The last location that I have is the <laughs> movies. So we have a movie theater and then we have oh. Saya. This is the very first time David gets to meet Saya. Saya attends her own movie premiere. And then, so we see all of this fandom around Saya as- Does like, she come out of the screen demon style? No, but but yes, all of her fans turn on her because while she's in the theater and her fans are obsessing over her, then the screen comes alive with demon magic and all of the people in the movie theater- become possessed by demons so now Sai has to kill him and david has to team up with her in the Aww, moment which he's never done but she's always... in her element right but he's always the guy who hangs out you know afterwards he's always cleaning up the aftermath but now he gets to hang out Ooh. with her and kill all these demons with her and so then of course though once she kills the last demon uh or david david kills the last demon but then he turns around to say something to Saya. And she is gone. She's disappeared into the night. And now David has to like confront this idea of like now he has to break up with someone who he never really met with. She's not into him. No, she she peaced out on him. She just peaced, said goodbye. Aww, it's not, it's like a no. At the end, he gets broken up with, and he's like, it's a weird breakup moment though, because he's never actually really met her but he's still being broken up with by her. So there's no hope. There's no hope that Saya's going to be into him at the end. No, no, it's a, it's a, this is, this is the price you pay for a bloody Shira rom-com. You should apply a trigger. You, you should apply a trigger warning, not for violence, but for no happy ending. I can do that. I can, I need a movie. I need a trigger warning on your movie because it doesn't have a happy ending. You know, the violence, the violence I can take, but you take away my happy ending. That's just too violent, too destructive. A caution to viewers. This anime has extreme violence and no happy ending. Viewer discretion is advised. Good. You let everybody know you warned them. So I'm curious to know how you took this ultraviolet demon anime and, and oh. put some kisses into it. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, there's going to be kisses, but there's also going to be um, a few jokes, a few jokes on a topic that doesn't often get joked about as often as I feel like it should. But, you know, this is really a woman's job. A man couldn't write this movie. <laughs> My movie, Blood, colon, The Last Period. No! (laughs) Shira Moore. No. Yes. Because Saya, well, Saya, she's a teenage girl who was turned into a vampire on the worst day of her cycle. When she was having PMS. 
And so, you know how I said flagpole sit-up would be my theme for mm-hmm. the last movie? For some reason, you know, when we did Aliens with Jessica, all I could think about was the promotional tie-ins, like a right. face hugger McFlurry. Um, again, I think face hugger peanut butter core would be amazing. But uh, for this round, I was like, oh, yeah, the music that we're going to buy the rights to for the movie. Dolly Parton has a song called PMS Blues. It's very funny. And I thought it would be cute if Saya in her off time, she's like the lead singer of a punk band and covering PMS Blues is one of her songs. Uh, But yeah, so Saya has permanent PMS permanent period rage uh and it makes her a really awesome fighter and government asset in the secret war against uh vampires or whatever the the chiropticons were uh but it also makes her super hard to handle because she's always like lay off me do i look fat in this don't answer um, but you know, yeah, all that. And like, you know, just David's really got his work cut out for him, but yeah. you know, she's just such a great asset and her period anger gives her, you know, you know, Hulk strength. Mm-hmm. Um, but then something happens. Saya meets another girl. We'll say that they're 18 just to make it not icky. Yeah. Um, but of course Saya is, you know, an immortal, And something happens on this assignment. This other girl, we'll call her Amy, really just clicks with Saya. And maybe Saya says something about PMS. And Amy's like, I've got just the things, friend. And we can have like a real cute montage where Saya learns about self-care. Like maybe they eat chocolate and watch movies. Amy rolls a joint. Uh, it's just, you know, a real good time. The way that women take care of each other when we're in pain because of our periods. You know, I, I think I'm breaking new ground with this movie idea. And of course, Amy and Saya fall in love. Uh, and I think you could get some really goofy things like maybe Amy and Saya are watching uh, Legally Blonde and David calls her and he's like, I'm at the building. Where are you? And Saya's like, no, I missed my assignment. Oh. And then she has to go rush off and Perfect Day plays in the background. It's just, you know, it can be really fun and cute. Yeah. But of course, the government is not into Saya being okay because you know her being angry and filled with rage is part of you know what makes her so effective at her job if she's eating chocolate and watching rom-coms she's not killing vampires so of course now the government wants to assassinate amy but sai is not having none of that so they go They go rogue, Thelma and Louise, but in love. Uh, And then by the end of the movie, I'd like to think that David, who's, you know, weighing his loyalties to the job versus his loyalties to Saya over their working relationship together, does the girls a solid, helps them escape to Mexico. And then epilogue at, there's a place in Playa del Carmen, 
if you if you are traveling to Cancun, folks, or down that way, there's a place called Ah Cacao, as if somebody had some cocoa powder and was like, ah, cacao. It's delicious. And Mexican chocolate is delicious. And you get a brownie from ah, cacao, I guarantee you, you'll be in heaven. But yes, Amy and Saya eating brownies by the beach in Mexico together forever. No more PMS blues. Aw, that's a nice one. How'd you like that I made it all about her period? No, gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's really like, it's only a movie a woman could write because it would yeah. be such bad taste for you to write this movie. It would if be. you wrote this even... movie, if you wrote this movie, so many women would be angry with you. It did not even cross <laughs> my mind for a minute. To... I think men are very well conditioned at this point to just not even say the word period. Yeah. <laughs> but you got to do it. It's not that gross. It's just part of life. But yeah. also... But yeah, blood, the last period. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're welcome, Adrian. <laughs> yeah, have fun with that one, Adrian. All right. <laughs> oh, man, I I did have fun with this one. I also really enjoyed yours as well. I like that you kept all the violence. And for me, I didn't yeah. like that there wasn't a happy ending, but we'll work on that. We can um, work on we can work on that. So, so tying things all together, just want to remind you, if you want to have us do your movies, all you got to do is call. All you got to do is reach out to us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. And, you know, it also doesn't hurt us if you follow us on social media or review the podcast and rate it, but only if you rate us highly and review us and say that we're great. Uh, if you have something not nice to say, then I don't know. You, you can go off and listen to other podcasts. But yeah, if you love what we do, tell all your friends and rate us and subscribe. All right. Now getting into Love Bites. What would you like to recommend this week? Oh, man. Sonia and I, she's she's out of town right now. So unfortunately, we've had to put our tv together watching on hold but we did decide to crack into some loki and this show is freaking amazing i love i i just love everything marvel is doing like wandavision was so unique and cool and i didn't agreed i didn't watch captain falcon uh yet but we're gonna watch it after loki but loki is just it's it's incredible every two episodes something something genre breaking is happening and tom hiddleston is awesome he's so good as loki and then owen wilson is perfect as his role and it just i we we keep quoting it we keep referencing it it is it is just infinitely entertaining 
uh i cannot get enough of loki and the moment that i'm at right now is like the mid-season thing so i have to wait for sonia to get home to watch it but it's worth it because you know like you recommended um working out with your partner like sonia keeps asking me can i watch loki can i watch loki i'm like no that's our show to watch together you can watch any other show you want you can't watch loki because we we talk during it and we have fun with it and we yeah, it's just it's so great to to have Marvel and watch Marvel with someone who likes Marvel because neither one of us know the comics at all. I know I have a very basic Marvel is meant to be shared. I do yeah. agree with that. And comics are meant to be shared. I yeah. hope that you're liking Hellblazer by the way. Yeah, I actually I started reading the other one first. <laughs> I didn't realize that it was like back to back and then I was like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> He already cured himself of cancer. Wait a minute. Um, but yeah, it was interesting to go back. And I'm, I, I am not going to lie. I do kind of like Constantine better with dark hair. I know that's sacrilegious to say, but that's but I do. okay. But Constantine is super cool. But yeah, that's, that's totally more of a meditative. Okay. I need to get I need to get into Loki. I I I do I do really want to watch that show because uh, I I love Tom Hiddleston. He's I mean, who so doesn't? Great in the show, he's man. magnetizing. Oof, yeah, he's a handsome man. So, how about you? What's your love bite? So you mentioned how great it is to watch Loki with Sonya, and I would also like to recommend a show that I'm watching with my partner. Doug doesn't like me calling him my partner because he thinks it sounds like we're in a same-sex couple, but uh, partner is what you're going to have to deal with for now, sir. Uh, But Doug found out recently that he is a survivor fan i maintain that doug has always been a survivor fan he just didn't know it uh but now he knows it and he has decided he wants me to merge with his tribe and watch survivor with him and you know like a lot of people i watched the first season of survivor when it came out because it was a cultural event but after that, you know, I, I didn't watch the show. Yeah. So now I'm back into Survivor and I'm going through the seasons. Hulu has pretty much every one of them. So if you have a Hulu subscription, you go ahead, start watching Survivor from the beginning. And it's actually a really great show. Like, yes, it seems like, hey, it's just Big Brother in the wilderness, but there's a bit more to the show than that. And I enjoy watching all of the players. It reminds me a lot of The Weakest Link in that mm. you'll notice if you've watched enough of The Weakest Link that the best players often get uh, voted off by the time you get to two or three people. So being the right. strongest player isn't always an asset when you're in a group that's voting you off. But you'd also know this if you've watched RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars as well. So I think that Survivor... (laughs) Yes, Sonia and I both enjoy Drag Race. So I think that if you watch any of the other shows I just mentioned and you just want to see a show that blends all of those elements in one watch survivor i i think that it's a lot of fun 
I've enjoyed watching it with my partner. Uh, and I would recommend it to anybody who's looking for a fun and shady uh, and just entertaining competition show to watch. Yeah, and it is fun to to have those different levels of conversation about like, who do you like versus who do you think will win versus who do you think will really win? There's like a whole meta conversation about the game being played, but also like the games that are being played. Oh, exactly. And all of those are questions that I ask myself and Doug and we ask each other because you, you gotta, you gotta wonder who's playing the best social game and, I mean, who who do you want to root for? Uh, and I mean, I never get tired of stuff like that. Like, I, I never get tired of judging people. <laughs> the American pastime. Uh, yes. Uh, other than eating in front of the TV, it's judging people. Yeah. I'm good at it. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all for today. How would Big Daddy Mars sign us off? Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.